Okay. Welcome along. It's a Friday afternoon. It's International Women's Day here today, Friday the 8th of March 2019. Uh, welcome along, Karen Benemo, uh, for our special edition episode. Thank you, Tim, for having me. It's been great. It's <laughs> Traffic wasn't so great getting here, though, was it? No, wasn't. There was a uh, truck fire on the highway coming down from the Sunshine Coast, so that took a little bit of time to clear, but uh, yeah, once that happened, it was good. I opened up. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, International Women's Day. Do you, I wonder how long they've sort of had this day for, do you think? Do you know any, any sort of ideas as to... don't know the history of it, but it's been going for quite a number of years. And each year you just see it gaining a lot more momentum. There are more event, events being held. There's also, too, you know, opening up to events where people can bring their partners along, particularly if it's an evening function. Yes. And also, it's not just celebration on the day. I'm actually going to an event on Sunday afternoon where they're focusing on women educator leaders in education. Yeah, and education is uh, obviously a space that you've been involved in. Obviously, uh, uh, when did it all start, I guess, for you, Karen? I mean, obviously, if you go back to uh, childhood, whereabouts were you born and brought up? Um, I was born in uh, Kingaroy and brought up on a property, a farming property. And I used to always have to catch the school bus. So uh, my mode of transport to catch the school bus was a grey Ferguson tractor. A tractor? Yes, and that took me down to the main road where I would catch the bus with my sister and we'd head off to school. And uh, was it a big family? Did you? How many sort of siblings did you have? No, only two of us in the family. Um, the interesting thing is I was the first one actually in the extended family, uh, including all my cousins, to actually be going to university for the first time. Prior mm. to that, there wasn't those opportunities. And that's the interesting thing that we see in a shift, particularly as we focus on International Women's Day. There are a lot more opportunities opening up now for women and and uh, guys as well. But uh, when I went to school, it was a case of you uh, had a choice of either secretarial studies or home economics, or you pursued sort of the straight physics, maths, but we weren't really encouraged to go into those areas as a child. No, certainly back, uh, I guess when we call it sort of back in time, that was, that's um, the way even I was brought up in Generation X, that um, there was a fair segregation of what um, men, you know, men and women were doing in careers. Um, Certainly contributed to what what we've sort of I've heard it a few times on the news today. The the you know the pay gender gap is obviously always and it's an issue over the course of time and there's obviously various reasons for that. Um, but um, yeah, so but yeah, Kingaroy, um, did you enjoy living up in the in the country there? And what what were some of the best experiences that you had growing up in that region? Uh, I really enjoyed being a child growing up on property you really had a lot of freedom. Uh, I remember, uh, you know, apart from doing the chores, you'd be up early doing the chores that you needed to do, whether it was helping out, um, doing the dairy work, because my parents were originally involved in dairy farming. Uh, or then the afternoons, you'd have chores to do. Uh, I can distinctly remember you know, feeding cattle during dry season time. Um, in fact, I was driving tractors before I even went off to primary school. Wow. Um, that was the things that you did. You know, Dad would start the tractor in low gear and he'd say, head in that direction, see that tree over there, keep driving towards that. And I would steer away and he would be the one offloading the hay to the cattle and and uh, to actually stop the tractor, I'd have to, have to hang onto the steering wheel and use my force and weight to put the brakes and the clutch on. So it was uh, lots of interesting adventures of growing up as a kid um, in a rural area. Yeah, no... It, it would be um, certainly a great experience, uh, you know, as a as as a child to sort of grow up in 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 that sort of uh, and was was Kingaroy um, was it sort of known for its peanuts back in those days when you were living there? Yeah, like, absolutely. When people in, in you know from from our region here, when they think of Kingaroy, they think of you know the the famous peanuts and and, and that type of thing. 
Yeah. So mainly it was peanuts and then um, farmers diversified a bit and got into navy beans. And then if you go up there now, you'll still see some peanut growing, but a big area that's developing there is the winery industry. The wine in that sort of area? Yes. Okay. Um, well, you've got the Bajoki peterson Dam, the Boondoomba Dam, and so around those, because there's that water there, people uh, have gone into that area of growing um, grapes, uh, olives, and and having having actual I've vineyards about, I think there, I've heard wineries. About the olives there, not so. Yeah, that, the wineries. That's an interesting one. Yeah, there'd probably be maybe a dozen wineries now up yep. in that area. Hmm. Mm. So, um, and I guess how, when was the last time we went back to that region? Is that have you been back there recently or in recent years? Oh well, my par- well, parents were there, and yep. my dad still lives there. So okay. I'm at least up there at once a month, or or okay, uh, so maybe a bit longer. There. So I get back there quite regularly now. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's uh, still probably a couple of hours drive to get there. Or... About two and a half hours, depending on your traffic, yeah. Yeah. I actually have a, had a stint there where I went back as a teacher, yep. uh, which was interesting, going back to the school uh, where you were educated and working alongside staff who were actually your teachers at the time. Uh, mm. But, uh, yeah, did a, about three years there back as a teacher. Yeah, so, I mean, what... Uh, I guess when you're sort of growing up uh, in your teen years is, is is sort of education, industry, teaching, uh, being, you know, I'd, I'd say you'd have to be a mentor to some people. Um, did that sort of uh, something that you could see in yourself that you could pro- provide, you know, the world, you know, that sort of skill set and, and be very good and comfortable with it? Well, I think when we think about even in business, we're always thinking about role models. And for me, when I was in my latter part of my high school in year 11 and 12, the teachers that I had there were were young teachers. They were early teachers out in their first or second year. And they were enthusiastic and they had a fairly big impact on me that influenced me to make a decision that teaching was a career that I would uh, pursue at that time. Uh, and then as you go on, once I got through my qualifications and went out into the field, spent most of my time in the rural area, uh, around central Queensland in particular, and then moved into the area of teacher librarianship. So the role models that I had then were people who were, I guess, long-time professionals in, in teacher librarianship, what we'd call the doyons of the profession. Mm. Yeah, so... Um, yeah. Obviously, you've moved around a little bit, but obviously Kingaroy, back, going back there, Blackwater State High School as the teacher librarian. Yes. I was just looking mm. up some stuff here. Some stuff there, yes. That was uh, my last um, school where I worked as a teacher librarian, and then after that I was uh, a regional advisor. So I was mm. looking after 176 schools in the central Queensland area. Mm. And what was, what was sort of involved in that particular role at the time in the... In Well, in that time, uh, a lot of the school libraries were going through the whole automation system. Uh, Some of your listeners might be familiar with the card catalogue. So they were even I'm familiar with the card catalogue. You're familiar. Very good, Tim, because that's uh, (laughs) that's like a historical moment when you did card catalogues. So I was instrumental. I'd forgotten about that until you, (laughs) but I remember it now. (laughs) Yes, I was instrumental with the schools in moving them from the card catalogue system to an automation system where everything went online, and then the students could search and find the resources just in an online environment. And that's sort of really only sort of coming into the fray into the nineties, isn't it? That sort that's of right. that online sort of cataloging and and um, DOS and all of those. You, you, you could I remember then the next step was you'd go to you'd be at high school. I was at high school, and uh, maybe year eleven or twelve, and you'd get onto these different electronic catalog systems, and you'd do all these you know fancy sort. It'd be fancy, and you'd wow, you know. You'd, Technology sort of moving a little bit here, and uh, and and obviously it's probably catapulted from even though you know a long way from that into what we've got now. Yeah, well, a lot of uh, the library systems are actually in the cloud now. Yeah, oh, yeah. That have so, to be, yeah. So you can certainly see the technology has a big impact in that particular profession. Yeah, definitely. Um, so we, we've uh, teachers. You'd have had a lot of students um, over those years. Um, what, the kids today and the kids back in back in that time, 
mean, what are the main differences that you're seeing? What, what do you think about the, the children of today? Because you obviously, you, you see it. And you'd be able to sort of have, a, have an idea and a, a bit of, a, you know, what you believe the differences of, the main differences are between, you know, the kid of the 90s and the kid of the now growing up. Well, the kid of the 90s uh, wasn't connected, as we see, with their mobile devices, and so there wasn't that level of distraction. Mm. Um, whereas today we see them that uh, their mobile device is literally an, append- an extra appendage and so for many people, I think that uh, starts to interfere with their learning because they have a lot of distraction through that. But also, too, I think they're more exposed to more of the world and everything that happens around them. Mm-hmm. There's a lot more pressure on kids today, uh, particularly mm-hmm. when it comes to academic performance. And so that right. puts yeah. them into this, you know, this delicate area of mental health where they're anxious, so they're why, so fearful. So why do you think the 90s kids there wasn't as much pressure on academic performance as say today well there was still the pressure on academic performance but mm. there there wasn't um there wasn't this over standardized testing then in the 90s mm. yep. students were on a uh, sort of progressive pathway yes. they were assessed they mm. were also would face exams but their whole school year their contribution academically would go to that assessment uh, so i think that there weren't as many pressures on kids uh, back in the 90s for how they would be performing. And there was also too, uh, I mean, particularly in rural areas, there was, you know, more community input than possibly what we see now. But pressure on kids these days is pretty extreme. And what do you think is the... What what are the secrets to sort of getting... taking the pressure off the children? Is there any... You obviously think about this because you're very passionate about um, about getting it right uh, and getting it and making sure the kids mentally, uh, are, are, you know, obviously as intelligent as they can be, um, given all the circumstances. What are the things that they really need to to look at? Well, I think it's a case of the kids have got to learn how to manage their time. So if they've got something like uh, an assignment to do then start to work on backtracking that. So you know the due date, then start to backtrack and say, well, what do I need to do, you know, a week out or two weeks out or three weeks out? So start to look at how they can develop, you know, scheduling skills. Also, too, learning how to do research um, effectively if they have, you know, access to their school library or even a public library, utilising those services. Uh, So I think, you know, kids have got to learn some sort of lifelong skills such as how to manage their time, how to communicate effectively, how to collaborate within the classroom, how to ask the right questions if they think that they're not progressing or they're not understanding what they need to do. Um, and, you know, the whole aspect of, you know, being respectful of everybody, including themselves. Uh, there's, there's a whole lot of, you know, it's, there's not a simple answer to something no, like that. There is, no, there isn't. But it, it sort of creates a bit of conversation as to some of the things that, I guess that you think are really important when it comes to that. Um, yeah, so the work that I'm doing now in sort of the youth coaching and mentoring, the very first step is um, helping the, the young person to understand who they really are, mm. that they do have natural capabilities and talents, that they do have um, you know, certain personality traits that can be supportive for how they might learn best, mm. and then to be able to develop those skills around that so that they can get some strategies in place that will support them to be able to uh, learn well in class or know how to do preparation for exams, how to do their assessment and tasks. And that's a big thing. And, and as they're doing that, they're developing that confidence about um, themselves and being able to sort of step up and take things further. Mm. So I guess with your uh, career and, and your, um, your career, Karen, um, You've sort of been uh, self-employed for quite some time. Uh, tell us how you sort of got into that uh, initially. Big step. A lot of the conversation I have with um, with the people on the podcast, a lot of them are, you know, entrepreneurial. Or, you know, they have that, you know, uh, visions of you know being, you know, using self-employment as a way of projecting their life, projecting their career. 
Um, tell us about you know when you first got involved in that and, and what sort of uh, yeah your experiences yeah. I guess. Well, I guess it might sound like it's a bit of a cliche, but I think if you talk to every teacher, they would say that their purpose is to make a difference in children's lives. Yeah. And so that has stayed with me. Mm. And it was in 1993 that I found myself working in the central office of Education Queensland, and there was a lot of restructuring and change that was happening there. Yep. And during that time, I was told that there wasn't going to be a job for me come 1994. And so I said, well, let me go back then to my profession previously. Uh, But they couldn't find me an appointment at the time. And so I took a fairly big step and a big risk and I resigned. Uh, Mainly because I wanted to continue making that difference to young people and the directions and options that were given to me at the time were taking me further away mm. from that opportunity to work with parents and teachers and, and young young kids. And, and obviously that's certainly something you're passionate about. If there's, if you're getting sort of taken, and I was in a similar conversation today earlier, um, if you sort of go into something where, where you're not doing what you, you feel that you're the best at doing... And that, in your case, wanting to do is, is getting out there and, and mentoring and, and bringing these kids up, giving them, you know, all of your you know, knowledge, skills, and and just seeing them develop as well is definitely part of what you would um, would certainly uh, motivate you to to want to do that. And so I, I can see that that the role that you had there, you know, doing the stuff, managing the schools at the school level, would sort of say, well, I don't want to do this forever. I'm not this. I'm not. I don't want a career sort of doing this. I mean, it might pay something down the track, who knows, but my passion is this and, you know, obviously you, you um, jumped in. Yeah, well, it, when, even though I was doing that and sort of not necessarily directly involved in the classroom, I was involved with the teachers. Yeah. So I was doing a lot of professional learning with the teachers. Yes. And subsequently building the network with them as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in all that process, part of what I stepped into as well was being involved in particular uh, professional associations for teacher librarians. Um, and so I was uh, at one point president of the state association and then I was president of the national association. And that kept me in contact with a lot of people in the education profession yeah. and particularly in, in teacher librarianship. Mm. And that's that's sort of a part, I mean, we obviously go to a networking breakfast you know, every, every two weeks. So even from back then, um, you know, networking was part of, you know, how you were sort of expanding your own network. In, you know, you had those sort of, that sort of going on. Mm, uh, absolutely. So, uh, and that's certainly, it's always been a big help when, you know, if, if you're doing that and you can see something that you're getting a benefit out of that. Yeah, and also too, you know, you're giving back as well. Um, yes. So with those people, it was being involved in mentoring them even through their profession if they were uh, you know early entry person into into the career path there you were involved so you know some of the people who were mentoring me it allowed me op- an opportunity to then step up and, and mentor other people as well mm. yep so I guess what um, let's just go through some of uh, you can obviously talk whatever you want to talk about Karen that's why, why it's, it's all on you today <laughs> but um Going through, I guess, what's happened uh, since you became f- f- uh, first self-employed, um, all the different things you sort of got involved with, obviously how EduWebinar sort of started, you obviously can talk about that as well, and the talent dynamics. Um, so I guess lead in from where we're at, I guess, and talk about what you'd like to talk about as far as um, where your career took you and some of your experiences. Well, I guess it's like any business when you're starting out. Um, People might say, oh, you're a teacher, you haven't got business acumen, but you can certainly um, learn very fast through experience of what happens. When I was doing the professional learning, it meant that I was doing a lot of travelling. So you're going around the country, doing professional learning, and so it got to the point where I thought there must be a smarter way to actually deliver professional learning to uh, educators and teachers. And that's when I got introduced to webinars as the basis. Now, this was about nine years ago. It was very early on in that that aspect of delivering information virtually to people. And so 
I established EduWebinar then and it's a case of every month we have a couple of professional learning events, guest speakers come along, they share their knowledge and expertise and their practical tips and strategies for educators and uh, teacher librarians and people who are in the classroom. And so that's how that actually came into being. Uh, and that just added an extra value to the educational consultancy that I was doing. And then in the last probably three years is uh, when I thought I'd, there was people who were saying to me, you know, there really needs to be more support for kids, particularly from parents who were saying to me that they were getting a little bit disillusioned with the educational system and how it wasn't really supporting their child. They were feeling that their child wasn't even, you know, wasn't maybe challenged enough or their child was sort of experiencing some difficulties. And so that's when I got into the Talent Dynamics for Young People work, which is about, uh, it's, I guess in a way it's profiling them. It's, they do a multiple choice questionnaire, which then identifies their strengths. It also identifies their weaknesses. It identifies uh, environments within which they could experience success. And it also outlines to them the best role that they would play within a group. So it's when they're in school, they're involved in group work, what's their best role? And then that translates then into what are the opportunities for them for when they go into employable situations, mm. uh, the type of industries that they're most suited to and also some of the roles that they can play. And from there it was then building... Uh, programs and services that then would support the child as well as help the parents to mm. to support their child because mm. the educational, uh, I guess, experience that the parents had was probably quite different to what their child was currently um, experiencing as well. Definitely would be different, yes. So, uh, yeah, I mean, talent dynamics, that's, that's definitely an interesting thing. We've had at least, a, I think we've had a couple of presentations with the bots yes. uh, yep. regarding this. I, th I find it very, very interesting. Um, but what do you think about the, is there any sort of effect of pigeonholing people too much into a particular category of that or? Well, with this, it doesn't really pigeonhole people because mm. okay. when, when they complete uh, the profile, it will show them to be um, showing up in at least four different areas. Yeah. For me to explain it to uh, a child very simply is they might have uh, a predominance for being ideas smart, so they're quite creative, or they might have a tendency also to be people smart. In other words, they've got very good communication skills. Yeah. Or they could be detail smart, which is uh, pretty good with facts and figures and maths and computing and coding and that area. Yeah. And then the fourth area is what we call um, services smart. So they're great at looking at uh, being looking out for others, taking care of others. Um, what else would there would be that would be related to kids? Well, if they were in a group situation, they would make sure that everybody in the group had all the resources that they needed to complete the tasks that the teacher might have set them. Yeah. And also make sure that everybody's involved and no one's left out mm. and they'd be good timekeepers. Mm. So what happens is when a child does their profile, they, they come up with percentages in those four areas. Yeah. And that means they're not really being pigeonholed no. as being, oh, you're a creative child. Do this. Do, yeah. You know, you do this and you would be great in performing arts and whatever else. Mm. It says to them that they have a predominance maybe in that area, yep. but they're, they're also good at some of the detail uh, mm. and they're also good at some of the service areas. So yeah. it doesn't really pigeonhole them in a way. It gives them... Um, four areas that they can develop in and yep. then as they go through it gives them a little bit more detail yeah. about you know where they where they might show up and how that could be advantageous for them mm. this I mean there's a bit of the whole process provides a bit more clarity though to a degree with where you know okay well this is who I am like you know you don't always realize who you are sometimes is it and when, when people think they might be have certain traits but the answers to the questions and the answers to the, the the surveys that they do, they you know gives them something a bit different to maybe even what they expected. I mean, what what do you see much of that or? Not really. In all of the um, profiling that I've done, um, both with teachers and with kids, mm. I've had a minimal amount that have actually not shown up. Um, mm. And what happens is when someone might say, "Oh, I don't think I'm like that." 
then I would have a conversation with them mm. and, and just a conversation yep. naturally. Yes, yeah. Usually it's about tell me about the last holiday you went on and, and what happened. Mm. And then the language that they use will give you some indication of whether they are ideas, detail, people mm. or services smart. Mm. Yeah, so um, it's quite interesting. And have you found... W- where do you think that sort of goes in the future, the whole tight talent dynamics thing? Is that something you think that, that uh, will still be a major player sort of 15, 20 years from now? Do you think people will still be looking at that and using it the way they're using it now or that you're using it now? I think anything like that. I mean, over the years, uh, all those kind of psychometric testing tools have yep. evolved. I yep. mean, there's Myers-Briggs, there's Dice. Yes. Uh, one new one that I heard about the other day is called Bilden. And it's, uh, you know, it's a reporting system that comes out of the UK. So these are going to be evident everywhere. And the yep. more that I even talk with uh, business people, I'm finding that employers are starting to use that to help them to shortlist the people. Mm. Because for, particularly for small business, they're investing in that person to become an employee. And if they have an idea of what capabilities that person has it gives them a better way to fit them into the business where they would probably be willing to stay longer. Mm. Uh, Also for the person who, when they're writing their resume, it gives them some language that they can use and helps them to filter down and Mm. be maybe more targeted in the type of jobs Mm. that they would look for Mm. rather than just doing a scattergun approach and saying, oh, I'm going to apply for every every job that appears in, Mm. you know, seek comma, wherever it is that they're looking. Yeah, it's quite interesting. Um, one, just one thing in a podcast earlier um, last year, September, I think it was, or around that sort of time, September, October, I heard um, <coughs> I heard Philip DeBella speak. I'm not sure if you know much yes, about Philip uh, DeBella. Coffee, the coffee yeah, guy. Yes, yeah. and his sort of approach to different you know people and and how they sort of fit in his organisation, and it was quite interesting that he. He didn't want to, um, you know, genders is a thing, but at the end of the day, you want to get the best person for the for that type of job. You don't want to say, okay, well, you know, it, it's got to be a male, it's got to be a female. You, you, you got to get the best person, you know, mm. and you're doing yourself a disservice if you don't get the best person for that job. Um, and it, but it just naturally came, you know, it does naturally. Uh, what he said. Um, was that it's natural to to him that you know most of the good people at at being you know organisational managers in his business or whatever were female, you know because naturally they they were better in that area on average, you know that that's for him. Mm-hmm. So um, etc. So it was quite interesting that his take on something like that. But you know what what do you think about you know as far as you always do you think it's always important just to get the right person for the right job as opposed and that if you end up with eight people of one you know eight females and two males in the team or vice versa um what do you think about that well i guess we get in some interesting discussions you know on quotas and all the rest of the routine but i mean it's really a case of i think if you're looking for people to be on your team um things like gender and all of that shouldn't be a part of it. It should be who's the best person for the job? Who's the best fit? Who's the person who's going to add value to your business Mm. and help your business to grow? Who's got the even same sort of work ethic or same core values as you? Because Mm. even that now is becoming a big issue. If uh, if people haven't got the same values or the same attitude or a similar uh, approach, then they may even struggle to survive as part of the team. And, and teamwork and collaboration seems to be a big thing that I'm seeing in businesses now, more so than, than what it was, say, maybe a decade ago, that people are needing to work as teams to be able to get the job done and to be able to stay at that cutting edge. Everything's evolving so rapidly. Mm. Um, I'm seeing a lot more collaboration with competition these days as well. You probably see that as well. Mm. Um, in our industry, it's certainly happening. We we but there's always the belief you know for the people that have been there quite some time that um there's enough work for everybody we just want to make sure we're looking after our clients properly um for that to continue yeah and the best way to do that is if you're collaborating then you're both getting you're getting ideas from each other um 
um, you know, what's what's working well, how easy is that, you know? Um, yes, otherwise people might think in their business they have to be all things to all people and survival for that, you're just going to burn yourself out. In respect to collaboration, I heard recently that um, in New York in particular, businesses are needing to collaborate because there's so many of them within a close proximity of each other. And as you say, we're starting to see that emerging in Australia now, that people are collaborating more and sharing their services. And that means that people can be more, um, I guess, specialist yep. and reach out and, as you say, provide a better customer service to people. Yeah. So, and, and as we've probably alluded to, uh, I mean, in different podcasts, and that mental health has certainly become more of a thing, you know, over the last decade than previous to that wasn't really spoken about previous to that going back even as far as the 80s and 90s it was considered um, a big a big liability if someone had uh, had problems mentally um, and here we try we're, we're sort of getting into a, an age of being more acceptance with, with mental health uh, is that what you're seeing with the education side of it as well well, they and, in there's, mis- and there's an issue there, obviously. Well, there's an issue there. Um, Mission Australia did a report um, not all that long ago on sort of young people within Australia. And of all of the issues that they're faced with, a large percentage of those um, students who engaged in that survey were saying that mental health is a growing issue with them. And they're identifying things like fear and anxiety, uh, frustration... Um, stress, demands at school, stress of school, stress of exams, but then also going into, you know, the higher level of things like self-harm and suicide. Yeah. So people now are becoming, as you say, more aware of that, but they're realising there's the need to um, support people to uh, address that and to cope with it. Mm. And and there's a, a whole lot of organisations and foundations that are stepping up to uh, endeavour to address that and provide the services for for young people as well as for adults. Yeah. So, do you sort of get involved in that space? Um, with with you know, obviously, you wanting to stay on top of everything, but with the people in your teachings, is there much? What what sort of? Uh, how do you sort of get involved with education on mental health and and stuff like that? Well, we're doing that through the micro camps. Um, so the micro camps do a three-pronged approach, which is show up, step up, give back. Okay. So when we do show up, that's how they show up. Who, who are they? And that's where we, we, we dig deep into their, their particular profile and then support those um, aspects with skill development. Mm. But we also look at for you to be who you are, you need to be looking at balancing your life. So when, during the camp, we will look at things like health and well-being. We'll also look at, um, you know, relaxation, meditation, just taking time out for yourself. Don't keep burning yourself out. And then when we do the step up, that's when we're getting them to look at, well, how you can how can you work with others? And that means looking out for other people as well, uh, making sure that you're there for them. You know, we've got the, you know, are you okay? That's mm. a, you know, mm. a, a thing that happens now in our society. And there's a big program with that within schools. And then the last part is the giving back. So that's when we get them to look at global issues under the United Nations Sustainable Goals and then we get the kids to sort of go okay well what can we do locally that will have an impact globally and we get them involved in some creative processes doing that and when they do that they're getting a sense of that they're adding value that they do have something to contribute back to society Uh, when I was talking to a colleague in the UK who runs a similar program he said recently that uh, one girl was concerned about the dog poo in their neighbourhood and so she decided she was going to invent something that would help people to be more responsible um, with their dogs. And she started off doing really simple things like just getting uh, the soft drink bottles and filling them up with plastic bags and just sticking them in the ground in an area where people and dogs were. And it ended up getting to a point that she was uh, interviewed on the BBC. No, so, I hadn't heard about that. That's 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 pretty. That's sort of high level thinking in my in my opinion. Mm. I mean, it's something never considered as an idea, but that's just amazing, isn't it? 
Yeah. And, and this is what the program does for the kids. It, it gives them that opportunity over the two days to really step up. And sometimes we have a half day for parents in amongst that. And sometimes the parents are absolutely gobsmacked with what their kids will come up with when they do their presentations at the end of the camp. Mm. So did your sort of... Uh does your week sort of vary much uh, from one week to, to the next? Do you, or are you sort of fairly um, regimented as far as a routine is concerned in what you do, uh, f- you know, with, with what you get involved in, Karen? Pretty well it's the same. Uh, with the, the edu webinar work, which is mm. the professional learning, that mm. is locked into a schedule. So it's uh, a fairly routine, just finding the, the presenters and then broadcasting the the session and then doing all the editing and uploading and all that routine a bit a bit like what you do with your podcasts uh, probably a bit it sounds like you probably do a bit more than what i do <laughs> i just uh, half an hour and she's uploaded yeah. somewhere. <laughs> and then with the uh with the work um for with the young people that either coaching and mentoring well it's in response to the clients but also i'm involved at a global leader level um, as part of the genius school education movement Mm. so we have regular meetings whereby we're maintaining the flow and momentum and planning global events not just events within Mm. various countries but uh, events that will take us into uh, thailand and bali and japan so you do a fair bit of of traveling over the years don't you i do yes and it's work related obviously Mm. it's it's getting Mm. out there and educating all parts of the world Mm. About, um, and it's rewarding. I mean, just going into different cultures and cultures, and, yeah. and seeing the, I guess, their attitude and approach to education, but then working with the uh, the kids. I mean, they're really keen. They're keen to teach us something about um, their culture. And so I've learned how to do a Balinese dance um, and, uh, you know, all those sorts of things. And you're open to that as well because that's an experience within itself, just working with, with kids from other countries. Yeah, what are you, I guess what are your being a, a travelled person that you are? What are the, your sort of favourite places in the world to to visit as a I guess as a, just as a general destination? I guess first of all, where you know you're going to be fulfilled and you're just going to it's just the endorphins are just going to be running. Well, actually, the interesting thing is Southeast Asia is very responsive yeah. to their children having opportunities to. Um, excel themselves mm. or to develop their skills more so than say the western um, locations so those are destinations that I quite enjoy going to um, I must admit the heat and humidity that you experience over in some of those locations is, is pretty cruel but it, it is interesting to go and experience them because there's different aspects I mean you get to experience different food um, all different events and celebrations that they have uh, festivals and so forth yeah mm. What about the weather here in Brisbane? How did, is that? How, what, what's your sort of uh, opinion on that? I guess, but you've lived in this area for, for for such a long time. I mean, you obviously like living in this area for a reason. Well, it's really convenience. You know, yeah. you, you've got access to the airport. Um, you've got access to services. You've got access to uh, you know people that you know, like pe- the people we have at you know our network group at Bots and and other network groups that I'm involved in. Uh, but then when I was up in central Queensland, I had time when I was in Mackay, so definitely the humidity there is, is a lot so intense. Did you lived there for a while in Mackay? Or? I did, lived in Mackay for a while, but spent most of my actual teaching career out in the mining area uh, around Emerald, Blackwater, um, Dysart. Yeah. And so that's a different heat, it's a dry heat. But uh, yeah, I don't, I don't mind the weather. I must admit, I enjoy when it gets a bit cooler, though, and the humidity is not quite so intense. Yeah. So, do you, do you sort of do any sort of reasonably frequent travel to sort of colder destinations then, or? Uh, well, it depends. I mean, you work northern, southern hemisphere, so it depends yeah. on the time of year. Uh, mm. Often, it's a case of you're not really uh, choosing when to go for the season. But yeah. uh, I did do some work in the UK, and that was a little bit um, cooler weather and a different experience altogether. Yeah. So yeah, mm. okay. So um, what else? We've we got something else you can well, chat about. Well, only well only that because it's um, International Women's Day. Yeah, okay. Of course, yeah. And we're talking about well, particularly for kids, you yep. know, that they they need to have role models. Mm-hmm. A big influence on them, of course, is their parents. Yeah. But then I got to thinking, well, today in particular, who are the females who are 
there as role models within mm. Australia. And so I made a bit of a list, and then even today, listening. Oh, I'd like to talk about this. This sounds okay. Well, even today, like they were talking about people like Ida Buttrose. Yes. Who's now going to be the chair of the ABC? Okay. So she comes with a long history in the kind of Australian media, starting mm-hmm. off um, as an editor with Woman's Weekly, and then Clio, yep. and then you know yep. other different things. And then also, too, she's, you know, a champion for things yeah. like Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. So she has a broad spectrum of, of what she does, but she's a role model. Mm-hmm. So we've got that area. Um, and then we've got people even um, recently, we've seen Sam Kerr, who was the first footballer um, to be named Young Australian of the Year. And it's a female. And she... That's excellent. She I mean. scored two amazing goals just recently um, in the in the football. And yeah. AFL women's football hasn't been out for too long, but it's you know a few of these things like that are starting to hopefully gain not just traction now, but are going to gain a following yeah. for a long time. So young girls today, and even even um, you know the, the boys, they they've got different role models out mm. there, and there for girls it's across a range of industries. Mm. You've got um, like I've got here. Um, like even with the Aboriginal community, there's a lady, Nolene Lever, um, mm. who was fostering uh, young people and was very active in the welfare of the Aboriginal children. Mm. Um, and then they've got, um, well, Rosie Batty for the anti-domestic violence and being recognised for that. Yeah. Um, you know, we can talk about our, our people in politics, the women who've been involved there. So who do you think are the, some of the strongest uh, women in politics you know, in your uh, lifetime that you've seen? Well, if I look at federal, I mean, Julie Bishop was yeah. quite significant. I um, mean, you know, first foreign minister for Australia, mm-hmm. um, being female, in the yeah. Yeah, first female. And then you had Julia Gillard, first female. Prime minister. Um, prime minister. Um, and still actively involved in, in things like gender equality and education. Mm-hmm. Um, let me how else. Who else have I got here? Well, if I go into the arts industry, we've got Kate Blanchard as an actress, yes, Nicole yeah. Kidman. Yep, fine actresses. Yep. And then uh, one interesting one I found today was uh, Fiona Ward. Now, probably people haven't heard of her, but she was the one who invented the spray-on skin that was used to save a lot of people from the Bali, in the Bali bombing. Okay. If you remember, a lot of people got severely burned. Actually, I do remember that name. I do remember that name. Mm. She's um, did she get she got an OA or something? Or yes, yes. So or some of these Australia folk have, have got uh, recognition. Well, she might have got Australian of the Year, maybe. Or did she uh, get? I'm not quite oh, sure. Fiona Ward. I'm just, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that definitely that name definitely rings a bell, and she. That, that, yeah, I do remember that. That was. Um, uh, yeah, that was significant. A very significant innovation as a plastic surgeon. Um, and then if you go into something like more sport, uh, Michelle Payne, be the first female jockey to win a Melbourne Cup. Yeah, that was definitely significant. You know, I think that um, it just shows you that uh, women can do... There's not, Obviously, you can do any, everything, you know. Well, there's a lot more opportunity and, now. Uh, You're not limited. Like when I had to make a decision about a career, it was either nursing or secretarial studies. Mm. Um, teaching. Mm. Teaching. Uh, so a lot more opening up there. And then the fascinating thing, if you think about our banknotes, hmm. you've got women on one side and males on the other. They're of well, significant that's, people. That's how it should be, definitely. Um, what, what I guess what um, I've seen happen, more probably more in recent years, I guess, um, just from my experiences that I've seen, um, it's good that um, one of the things that I follow, which is UFC, um, the UFC have got four different divisions of women now, so mm. the four different weight classes, all ten pounds apart, uh, and they're very competitive. And they're really, you know, the fight to watch those types of fights. The skill level is from when it was five years five years ago to what it is now. You've got so much competition. Mm. Like when it first came out, it was just all about Ronda Rousey, and uh, Ronda Rousey was a pioneer because she was the first female to main event a, a pay-per-view in, in the UFC um, so she was a you know certainly a pioneer and then had had a six fight win streak or whatever and then all of a sudden bang you've got all these women from all over the world now competing on the world stage and and it's become very very competitive um, and it's 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 good to see evolution when it comes to 
to that and that's what I'm seeing with some of these other things you're mentioning as well. Yeah, see a lot of those people in that sporting area, um, what they do is they become an inspiration to younger people to get involved in something that they might not have thought was a possibility for them, uh, give it, say, five years ago. And, yes, I mean, what it does, it, it also helps because, you know, body image is a big thing mm. for both males and females. And so people involved in sport, that gives them the chance to see, well, yep, yeah, you can you can actually succeed and you don't need to be, you know, skinny and thin and whatever else, that you can be who you are and be successful at what you want to do. Mm. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, some great women. I mean, what I always find, people like Oprah, I mean, very strong, Ellen, um, these are just great, great personalities, mm. great people, mm. you know, great people. Well, that, most people would know J.K. Rowling. I mean, consider that the author of the Harry Potter, yes, and her idea for writing the series came because she was sitting on a train and it was running late and she thought there must be a faster way to get there and so I think all of us can remember the famous scenes in Harry Potter where they're mm. waiting on the train station and they're running towards a concrete pillar and zip through and they go... Um, off to Hogwarts. Yeah, uh, it's yeah, it's fascinating that, uh, and then the, obviously the amount of movies that uh, and books that uh, J.K. Rowling is responsible for. Um, yeah, amazing lady. Mm. Um, yeah, so it's some great actresses. We could there's so many different really good Hollywood actresses that stand out these days uh, that have sort of you know become. I guess pioneers, uh, one way or another. People like Angelina Jolie. Um, you see the same ones like Jennifer Aniston. She's been around for a long time. These, you know, these people should be role models mm. for, for. But even uh, if we think about younger people as well, like we had Jessica Watson um, being oh, yes. a young female sailing around so the world. What, uh, did you ever hear about anything for her story since? Um, no, only that she started doing some writing. She did a bit of, you know, became a bit of an author for for uh, for a while. Haven't heard much about her, but then you think, you know, Kathy Freeman being very young when she uh, was the first uh, Indigenous woman to be involved in the Olympics way back, I think, in the early 90s. Yeah, so, yeah, Kathy Freeman, obviously um, so so prominent at the 2000 Sydney Olympics. Oh, um, yeah. She was the one who lit the torch at the at, in the opening ceremony and then had that, um, what I call a revolu- revolutionary tracksuit when mm. she won the 400-metre... Mm. Uh, Four hundred meter, um, yeah, got the gold medal. So, um, and obviously tennis players, you know, female tennis, um, that's that's become you know quite quite competitive over the years as mm. well. You mean the Serena Williamses of the world, the Venus. Well, Williams. even Ash Barty. I mean, Ash Barty was in tennis, then she had a go at cricket, and then she's now back at tennis and and paving a pathway um, in that profession. Mm. Yes, a lot of inspirational inspirational women that is for sure yeah so yeah, when as a I mean going back to me being a, a, an educator what I try and encourage um, kids to do both boys and girls is if they want to to consider some of these role models then it's really a case that they're all familiar with getting on and doing a Google search is identify half a dozen of them and then go on and do a search and see what information you can find out about them and then read up about them and consider, well, what did they do to be successful within their particular profession mm. where they've made some significant change to whether it be journalism or sport or whatever it might be, and then think about, well, what could I do? Um, mm. So I think, I think there's lots of different ways that kids can learn from role models without actually having to be following them or whatever else. They can actually mm. do a bit of research and find out about them. Mm. Yeah, I was, the other thing too, I'm just looking about where we are now in, in 2019 and, and if you go back in time where you envisage um, the world would sort of look like. I mean, I didn't sort of envisage that we'd still be printing as many books as we do. Um, tell us about books. I mean, do you think... Uh, why do you think we still make so many books do, and why do people... You know, a lot of people still enjoy reading books uh, in 2019? Well, as they say, you can go to bed with a good book, whereas your iPad is a case of too much bright screen. There, mm. you know, there's medical research yeah, yeah. indicating mm. that you're overstimulating your system and it's interrupting with your sleep. 
Um, I think too the you know the tactile part of holding a book and being able to you know flip the pages, and you know a book its batteries don't run out and there's all sorts of you know quirky mm. little things about books, mm. but it's a case of really book publishing. It did a little bit of a dip and a dive, but it's it's come back again, and there are all different avenues whereby you can access books both in print in a digital format. Mm. So you know authors are out there still writing. Mm. And writing across a range of different topics. But, um, I mean, that technology hasn't completely killed books and it's probably a f- far away from doing it, but it's killing a lot of other things, I guess. Uh, well, it's not killing, it's things are evolving um, in lots of other areas. Obviously, magazines, you don't see as many magazines around these days as you did back in the 90s. Um, people just like to Google stuff online and read something if they want to read something. It's it's there. Mm. I think that's fairly much a way of doing things. Social media. We spoke about that this morning. Um, this decade is known as the social media decade. I, I think it'll always go down. Well, it should go down always as as being the most prominent social media decade in history. I would say where we go the next decade remains to be seen. There's some ideas, um, but it probably won't be the social media decade that that what that this last 10 years has been mm. um, would you what do you think about the social media aspect of uh, of education well I think social media has a lot to answer for for some of the mental health issues that yeah. we see young yes. people experiencing um, you know I think sometimes in homes we need to set a few little rules in place so it might be you know at the at, when it comes to a meal um, no phones on the table, and that it goes for the adults as well. Um, I don't know about you, Tim, but sometimes when I go out socially mm. and people are taking photos and posting yeah. them and they're checking their phone and every time it pings they've got to pick it up, you know, I think um, we need to have some kind of, well, not rules in place, but just some management things mm. in place about how, how much we allow social media to people, distract I mean, us. I'm surprised also that we're sort of so comfortable sharing our lives for everybody in a way that we've we're sort of oblivious to security uh, issues that evolve with anything that we do yeah i saw a post the other day of uh, it said something along the lines of um you know my life has been online even before i was born and it was a story about 11 year old girl of how she needed to she wanted to broach the subject with her parents about the fact that there was everything about her from when she was a baby bump right through to her present time and she said she didn't feel comfortable about all of that being online now that she understood more about what social media was about yeah and i see like it's 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 amazing that it's like a pretty much a 50 50 split on even that type of issue where you've got you've got a parent of a kid sharing absolutely every little interaction and detail about their particular kid um, week in, week out, day in, day out, from the little bump, as you say. Mm. Um, they're now the eight or nine. You know, they're only a few years away from, you know, being mortified perhaps, and especially if they've got issues as they... Some of these kids definitely have got issues already before they um, get to that point. Mm. Um, which is which is not um, a good place, and then you've got some that obviously, with good reason, you know, say, look, we're not going to share any photos of our, you know, children whatsoever. There might be one a year if you're lucky, <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. So. Well, um, you know, the mantra is think before you click, um, and I think you know that's a big thing. I mean, not just the photos you share, but the the uh, comments or posts that you do might you, make. I mean, do you think? Um, yeah, obviously think about it, but obviously people do it. So they are going to do it, and they're going to do it prevalently. So it's going to it's a, it's a it's a disease or not a disease, depending on how you look at it. Um, I mean, what what can yeah? It's <laughs> I don't know what else to say really about no, that. No, no. I mean, really, it's uh, every individual has to make up their own mind. Um, mm. And you know, as, as we've said before, on some of these things, there's no simple answer to it. Um, but I think it's a case of, um, you know, be respectful, um, particularly for your kids. Keep it in mind that they may not necessarily want everything about their life being publicised by their parents. Um, and, yeah, just, just having some respect uh, mm. when it comes to what, you, what you're doing in a social media environment. 
and, and respect the fact that some people may not even have mm. um, social media accounts. Mm. And you're finding, I mean, you've sort of dealt in, as you said, we sort of spoke about other jurisdictions, other parts of the world, obviously different rules with, with social media as well. Um, where you, you sort of see, what are you seeing sort of happening in other parts of the world there, like China, for example? Or oh, well, China, of course, has pretty significant tri- mm. controls. Yeah. But in the areas that I've been to, the kids are really no different. Yep. You know, they, they come into um, the program and, and they all have their mobile phones out and, mm. and they're active on that. But we try to engage them as much in the program and usually by about morning tea, the, the phones are away because they're having fun they're engaged, they're interacting. Mm. And, of course, the mobile phones come out at the end because they're wanting to connect mm. with the kids that they've met who they probably yeah. didn't know before. Yeah. So they're wanting to, you know, use yeah. their different media to, to hook up to each other. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Excellent. Um, what else can you like to share with us today and the audience, I guess, of the podcast? Karen, anything? Well, I guess if from an angle of, you know, things that, we try to do in regard to you know keeping business in mind mm. what we're doing with young people is that we're trying to develop those employable enterprise skills yeah so we get them to think about you know what's their big why what what's something that's important to them that they feel that they can contribute and in business that's what we're trying to do we're all identifying our big why our big audacious hairy goal or whatever they call them and then we get kids to think about, well, what is it that you want to focus on mm. that will make you feel as if you're making that contribution and you're significant? Um, you know, who's going to be involved? Who are you going to work with? Uh, who, um, you know, for business, we, you know, who is our customer, we're thinking. But, you know, for them, it's, well, who's, um, who's my audience? Who am I going to present the information to about the United Nations Sustainable Goals mm. uh, that, that I'm indicating is some sort of solution to particular global problems? Um, and then, you know, when and where is it going to happen? Uh, and then lastly, the how, you know, what's the fine detail that they need to look mm. into? So by going through that kind of creative process, we're giving the kids the chance to develop those particular skills, whether it be communication or collaboration, mm. problem-solving, creative thinking. Uh, and it's good to see the transformation at the end of end of a two-day camp. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's sound like me. Camps are always a, a bit of a good idea. Um, certainly, you can those types of things you can get hit fast with stuff. It's all about um, and at a, at a sort of young age, how do they re, you know retaining? They, you're going to learn something. You're always learning something. You're always picking stuff up as a kid. But at the same time, as much as you're retaining stuff, you know, is there sort of a level of trying to take take on too much information at once as well or just having something out of getting something out of it that's going to benefit from from them is going to be certainly worth its while isn't it well it's like when we go to you know professional learning events or conferences we get this massive yeah. overload if yes whatever days we've so been it's the same there. sort of thing yeah. it's the same sort of thing but if you go into um, those events with okay this is my intent this is why I want to be here and you can identify and say, well, I'm going to come away with, you know, three or four things that I'm going to take back to my business. Then you can actually manage the amount of information you take in. Mm. So, again, it's teaching the kids, you know, strategies as well. In fact, we start off the, the camp by saying, well, what, what's your intent? What, what do you want to get out of it? Mm. And then um, we just check in to make sure that we actually help them to achieve that by, mm. by the end of the time that they're with us. Mm. Yeah, so I, th- I think that's been really good. I think we've just about run out of time. We've already actually been going for an hour. I'm not sure if you're aware of that. <laughs> but it's, it's been good to talk to you. No, it's been great. It's been certainly I've learned a bit from just talk. You know, this conversation is, is to, you know obviously shows me a bit more about yourself as well, Karen. Um, very smart. I, I mean, I always think that you when I when I see you sitting there and the way what comes out of your mouth, always I'm always sort of you know thinking and saying, okay, well this person's intelligent this person's got a lot of intelligence um they're very sound they don't they're sort of very controlled and they're very um you know there's not there's everyone's going to have an emotion somewhere but it's an intelligent emotion it's it's but obviously you know everybody's human at the end of the day um so you got to respect everyone as humans but you know i just you know, get something out of that. 
Yeah, thank you. Yeah. So, Appreciate um, that. Yeah, the bots, uh, you obviously been with bots, one of the, the members there from the probably early beginnings or if not one of the, when it, were you there when it pretty much first started? I wasn't there when it first started, but uh, yeah, definitely in the early days uh, when it, I when think it got underway. I think I was anyway, yeah. I'm pretty sure. Mm. But uh, it's been great to have you on the podcast, you know. Um, I'd like to, I can't wait to listen to this back in the car, travelling somewhere, stuck in, you know, 47 minute traffic, <laughs> trying to get uh, somewhere. Um, yes, like I was today. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, do yourself a favour and listen to a couple of other different podcasts as well. Not not just mine, but um, it's it's something I enjoy doing. That's for sure. And it does. It's sort of shaping, I guess, where, where I'm at the moment um, in life. So, thank you very much, everyone. It's uh, been International Women's Day today. I'm going to the uh, purple and white um, uh, purple and white uh, ball a gala ball uh, at Cloudland um, to, to support Chaplain Watch uh, tonight. So uh, looking forward to going to that. I've just got my white uh, jacket and purple uh, shirt uh, all ready to go sort of thing. So I'm looking forward to that. It's been one of those sort of uh, days of, of action, I guess, uh, the way I see it. Um, yeah, so everyone have a great weekend. And uh, that was episode 30 of From the Valley podcast. Thank you very much. Thanks, Karen.